Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Opportunity Starts at Home podcast, where we explore the deep connection between housing and opportunity across the nation with experts from various sectors, from health to education, to racial equity, to climate, and much more. My name is Chantel Wilkinson. I am the campaign manager of the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign. The campaign is about bringing voices into housing advocacy that are not typical housing advocates and using these new partners to advance federal affordable housing policy. This campaign has come together at a critical moment with housing advocates recognizing the crisis has reached enormous heights and advocates and leaders in other sectors recognizing that fixing the housing crisis is instrumental to their own goals and priorities. Housing has an impact on our health. Housing has an impact on our education. Housing has an impact on our access to nutritious foods. Housing has played a major role in structural racism and discrimination, and we can go on and on. Our podcast episodes aim to deepen our understanding of housing and its spillover impacts, explore the substantial research out there, and we are bringing in the experts to chat about it. So thank you for joining us today and let's get into this episode. Hello everyone and thank you for listening in today. Today we share our latest webinar featuring members from our racial equity working group exploring how multi-sector partnerships advance racial equity through a housing campaign. To keep up with the campaign and future events, please sign up for our newsletter at opportunityhome.org and without further ado, let's jump into the discussion. All right. Let's get started. Thank you for joining us today for a discussion on how multi-sector partnerships can advance racial equity through a housing campaign. I'll be moderating the discussion today. My name is Chantel Wilkinson. I am the campaign manager of Opportunity Starts at Home. If you're unfamiliar with the campaign, we work to bring diverse voices into the housing space to advocate for affordable housing. I'll introduce the panelists in just a minute, but before we get into that, I want to give a short introduction on our racial equity working group and the work that we've done so far. The campaign's racial equity working group meets monthly, executing an action plan to amplify racial equity throughout the campaign. It was abundantly clear during our initial discussion that racial inequities in housing cause and exacerbate racial disparities in other sectors. When parents cannot afford rent, that means that they cut back on educational materials for their kids, nutritious foods, medicine, and more. Poor housing conditions is linked to long-term health problems such as kids experiencing asthma due to dilapidated housing. Neighborhoods located near harmful environmental factors such as waste disposal and toxic dumping cause tremendous harm to the overall well-being of people living in these neighborhoods. There are many examples we can draw from, but the bottom line is that housing has spillover impacts, and we know that decades of structural racism found in housing affordability, segregation, quality, homelessness, wealth building, have facilitated an impact uh, that spills over and is felt by Black and Brown people. Through the campaign, our policy agenda can help advance greater racial equity in housing, which will help promote greater racial equity in other sectors. To date, through the work of the Racial Equity Working Group, we have updated our vision, mission, and goal statements to better reflect racial equity, release podcasts to explore the work of the Racial Equity Working Group, release fact sheets on the campaign's um, website, 
uh, around racial inequities in housing, updated the campaign's policy agenda to explain how the campaign's top housing policy priorities will advance racial equity, and released a number of issue briefs meant to deepen our understanding of racist housing policies and its impact on other sectors. In just a minute, I'll drop many of those resources into the chat box so that you can take a look. And now onto our discussion this afternoon. It's my pleasure to introduce some of the campaign's longstanding partners and members of the Racial Equity Working Group. Curtis Johnson, Vice President of Housing Strategy at Catholic Charities USA. Alexandra Ashbrook, Director of Root Causes and Specific Population at Food Research and Action Center. Charlotte Bruce, Research and Policy Analyst at Children's Health Watch. So my first question to you all is that your organizations have been close partners to the campaign since the launch in 2018. Can you tell us more about your organizations and why you participate in the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign? And I'm looking at Curtis, so I'll have you jump in first. Thanks, Chantel. And again, my name is Curtis Johnson. I'm Vice President of Housing Strategy at Catholic Charities USA, and I'm happy to be here today. The mission of Catholic, of Catholic Charities USA is to provide service to people in need, to advocate for justice and social structures, and to call the entire church and other people of goodwill to do the same. At Catholic Charities, we help people regardless of their faith, who are struggling with poverty and other complex issues. At CCUSA, we support the member agencies in our network to provide help and hope to our neighbors across the country. Our collective efforts focus on a set of strategic priorities that make a difference in the lives of the people of people in need. CCUSA has a long history of creating and operating affordable housing opportunities. And in 2016, affordable housing became one of CCUSA's priority areas. CCUSA created a housing community of practice where its members could network and convene and formulate strategies to focus on production and preservation, i.e. the development of new affordable housing projects and units and the refinance and rehabilitation of the network's current 31,000 plus unit portfolio. Our president and CEO, Sister Donna Marker, made a decision to accept the opportunity to start at home cam uh, uh, campaign steering committee member role, not only so we could learn from others, like my fellow panelists here, but also contribute towards solutions, i.e. advocating for more resources to address the affordable housing crisis that we all deal with. Moreover, also to ensure that the most vulnerable of those, i.e. those with the low households with the lowest incomes, receive adequate affordable housing opportunities. CCUSA recognizes the influence, perspective, and value of other that other sectors can bring to affordable housing and its costs. Be it education, prison reform, healthcare, social services, disaster, these are all areas that impact or, or are impacted by affordable housing, particularly the lack thereof. So in that way, this, this uh, Opportunities Starts at Home campaign fit neatly into the ideas and strategies of Catholic Charities USA. I'll stop there. Thanks, Curtis. I move on to Alex. 
Chantel, thanks so much for inviting me to um, be part of this engaging conversation. And um, I'm excited to hear what Charlotte and Curtis have to say um, as we delve into this issue. So joining Opportunity Starts at Home um, was a natural fit for our work at the Food Research and Action Center. Um, we're, we're known affectionately as FRAC. And FRAC obviously works to end hunger in America and improve the nutrition, health, and well-being of people struggling against poverty-related hunger. And we do so through advocacy, partnerships, and by advancing bold and equitable uh, policy solutions. So a crucial strategy to end hunger in America is to really leverage the federal nutrition programs, which have you know, a long um, list of research publications that tout their benefits to addressing food insecurity, but also improving people's health, nutrition, and well-being. And those programs include um, SNAP, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, long ago called Food Stamps, School Meals, WIC, After School Meals, um, Older Adult Food Programs. These are all critical programs to address hunger. And you know, the improvements that were made to these programs during COVID-19 really help mitigate um, food insecurity in America, along with the economic investments from the federal government. But we also know as fabulous as the programs are, they can't end hunger alone. And clearly a key, key piece that drives hunger in America is the need to address root causes and racial um, inequities. So, you know, FRAC looks at addressing root causes that include jobs that don't pay adequate wages, um, that don't have um, adequate supports, you know, they have a lack of access to affordable childcare or unreliable hours, um, not sufficient job training. Um, other root causes are an inadequate safety net. And then of course, a key root cause that drives hunger is lack of access to affordable housing. So we were really delighted to be part of this um, coalition where we can delve into what are the policies we need to um, improve that the housing crisis in, the, in this country and how can we um, leverage those policies to help the people who are most, uh, who are most disproportionately harmed by you know, our long and ongoing history of housing discrimination and segregation in America. So that, that's one of the many reasons we joined um, the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign. And we've been uh, delighted to leverage um, our network um, of advocates across the country to do more on housing policy. Thanks, Alex. Charlotte? Hi, everyone, and, and I'll echo Alex and Curtis with the thanks for being here and, and excited to talk to you all today and uh, be on this panel. So as Chantel said, I'm Charlotte Bruce, and I'm the Research and Policy Analyst with Children's Health Watch, which is a network of a national network of pediatricians and child health researchers uh, with really the core mission and, and goal of improving the health and development of very young children and their families by informing policies that alleviate economic hardship. And so our work is really focused on first uh, data collection and research, understanding the experiences that families are having. Um, and so what we do is we collect frontline healthcare data on young children and their families accessing care in urban safety net hospitals in four different cities. So we're in Little Rock, we're in Minneapolis, uh, we're in Philadelphia, where I am in Boston at our headquarters at Boston Medical Center. And then just until recently, um, we were 
in Baltimore as well. And through our, our data, through our interviews with families who are in either the emergency department or who are coming in for their primary care appointments, uh, we, we asked them about their experiences with food, with housing, with child care, health care, and, and really their financial stability in general. And then we're able to look at the relationship between those hardships and health, both what they, they tell us about their health, but also through their electronic health records. So we get a lot of details there that we're able to, to take a look at in terms of health outcomes and health care. Um, usage. And so for that reason, because we focus on all these issues, we are a multi-issue organization. And like Alex was describing, really focusing on kind of the, the root causes of these uh, health outcomes. And I would say housing and the reason that we're involved here, housing, I think, is one of the most important uh, determinants that we look at. You know, if you're if you're not, we've found that if you're not stable in housing, it, it essentially undermines all of the other efforts, uh, if you've ever heard, rent eats first. We know that that often is the first place that families' uh, budget goes. And from our data and the, the things that Chantel was outlining at the beginning, we really know that uh, housing is health and that it's so critical to your health, both as your environment and also the stability of your housing. Um, in terms of our population, we focus on young kids, like I said, so kids specifically who are under four. And so, of course, this is a, a group that is really at a stage of critical brain development and growth. And so because of that, housing is very critical at that stage. Um, and we, we see that quality affordable homes are, as our uh, lead principal investigator here likes to say, a prescription for good health. And so uh, we really believe that and have loved to engage with OSA and, or, and become part of this uh, campaign really for a number of reasons, but first because of the approach of, of really being a multi-sector uh, campaign and organization, understanding that uh, housing instability and these issues isn't aren't existing in silos. They're interrelated to so many different experiences across different hardships, about across different systems, um, and and so I think that's a really critical piece of this campaign. And also, I think the the OSA vision is very consistent with our own vision in terms of. Uh, being founded really on the idea that public policies are essential to, to children's health and to the health of uh, the population at large, both for the good and for the bad, um, depending on, on which policies we're considering and, and just the history of Children's Health Watch. We started um, a group of pediatricians got together right after welfare reform uh, was passed because they were concerned about the impact that those policy changes would have on, on the bodies and brains of young children. And so we're really excited about this coalition and the, the work we've done specifically on this racial equity working group, um, because you know we really feel passionately that, that this group is going to be able to, to make stable housing reality for thousands of children who, who really need that prescription for their health. Thank you, Charlotte. Um, a lot of what you all mentioned, I think also, came really forward when we had a discussion around the vision, mission, and goal statements that we'll get in in just a minute. Um, but so many of these things went into crafting the language around how we were going to make changes to our vision, mission, and goal statements. And there were so many different conversations about um, what, what language was appropriate, how we were starting to think about these issues and transform the way that we not only talk about them, but the way that we think and the way that we develop a lot of the communications that come outside of the campaign. So at a starting point, it was kind of changing the vision, mission, and goal statements, but it also branched into like a bigger conversation 
conversation about the way that we use language throughout all of our publication throughout the campaign and really taking um, kind of note of the way that we're speaking. Um, I remember conversations just around um, just even things that we, you know, we don't think twice about. And we think that, oh, is this word kind of better than this word? Are we um, making sure that we're engaging and speaking to representing um, everyone that um, housing impacts, which <laughs> impacts everybody um, while we speak about our vision, mission and goal statements and the conversation we were having around the work. Uh, so jumping into that question and really um, just thinking about everything that everyone mentioned about the values and um, really the vision that your organizations all have. Um, when I mentioned in the short presentation that we changed the vision, our new vision now says that the nation's historically marginalized households and those with the lowest income um, live in safe, accessible, affordable homes in neighborhoods that are free from discrimination and where everyone has equitable opportunities to thrive. Um, and so my question to you all is, how does this fit into your own organization's vision? And I'm looking at Alex, so I'll start there. Yeah, Chantel, one of the um, great opportunities of the racial equity work group was to have these discussions and really delve into like getting down on paper what we may have in our minds, but putting it in, in words so that it's clear and we're really targeting supports to um, the households and individuals that you know, are the ones most in need of um, the supports um, in large part based on you know, systems of um, ongoing oppression. So one of the things that um, we took away from all this work is, um, some really great ideas on how we could improve our um, writing guide principle at FRAC and how you know words definitely matter. And we wanna make sure as we're looking at policies and missions, statements and goals that we don't continue to harm people and make them feel powerless um, with our word choice. Um, you know, we really need to focus on, on how the structures are causing harm and we need structural changes and we need to be focused on language that centers people most impacted. Um, and we need the power, the language um, to provide context around the structural and systemic factors that cause housing insecurity and food insecurity and other hardships. So that was a really important takeaway um, from this work. And again, just, just the ability to break down some of the silos, because when someone comes um, you know, to an organization or to, um, uh, uh, to the, the table in terms of what they need, it's not that the person only needs assistance getting food, right? It's everything is interrelated. And this is a real opportunity to try and connect those dots in terms of policy so that we're all promoting holistic approaches to addressing poverty versus staying in our, you know, silos and just pushing for um, nutrition assistance or housing assistance. So that's, that's been key to, to helping us address root causes. Thanks so much, Alex. I'll turn it over to Charlotte. Thanks. I definitely agree with everything that, that Alex just put out. I think engaging with this group has been really helpful in, in our own uh, organization's development and kind of progress in this area. And I know we'll get into that a little bit later, but 
uh, in terms of our, our own mission and, and vision, uh, I mentioned that we focus on very young children, but to get a little bit more uh, detailed on the population we focus on, uh, it's a really unique group that's not typically in the public eye or, or really studied much being like infants and very young children. And like I mentioned, it's a very critical time of growth and development for their health and for really the health for the rest of their lives um, during this stage. And so we're really focused on ensuring access to basic needs and to resources at the very beginning of life so that all children have the opportunity to thrive. And so uh, within that young young population that we focus on, uh, the majority of our families are families of color and a large proportion are immigrants and many immigrants of color as well. And so by nature, it's really not a, uh, a population that's easily identified in any national data sets. And so I think we're able, having that, that unique uh, perspective, speaking to those families, um, and we've spoken to close to 80,000 families at this point, really gives us a unique add in perspective uh, to the policy and research conversations, having the actual data behind uh, our recommendations and um, what, what we're working on. Um, I would say how we've kind of developed in our own vision over the past uh, number of years and in, in this vision is we've added a number of questions to our survey that really get at uh, experiences of discrimination, for example, at, at the neighborhood level, but also understanding how families interact with systems, for example, um, if how they interact with the, their housing authority and how that affects their access to programs um, and then their, their future um, comfort or, or, or ability to access those programs. And then in addition to our research, uh, this cross-sectional research with families, we also have uh, done one uh, randomized control trial, so one pilot trial around housing prescriptions. So again, coming from uh, the angle of what can we find out to support our policy work and to, to help these families um, really through a, a racial equity lens, but also through a multi-sector and uh, multi-issue lens. So determining um, essentially what we did in that pilot is, is we paired the coordination of services for housing, for financial and legal, um, assistance for uh, different health services and healthcare services, and, and basically looking at how that kind of suite of services um, supports housing at the end of the day and, and the housing stability of families. And so we know that equitable access um, to not just housing, but, but the need for equitable access to all of these different uh, resources and needs. Thanks, Charlotte. So I guess I'm next, uh, and I, I echo what the, my, my co-panelists have said, and I'll just say the Catholic Charities Agencies have always sought to add value to communities and tended to focus on those most vulnerable. And regarding affordable housing, a large portion of our, our, our network's uh, portfolio covers those with incomes, households with incomes below 30% of area median income. So again, this, you know, dovetails nicely with us, CCUSA and, and OSA. And so when we look at our, and I'll give you a case in point, is our, our latest initiative, a healthy housing initiative, where we've uh, combined, it's a five-year pilot to solve chronic homelessness by partnering with Catholic charities and Catholic health systems in five cities, Detroit, Las Vegas, Portland, Oregon, St. Louis, and Spokane. And we've all seen studies and reports that demonstrate how 
minority groups in the U.S. experience chronic homelessness at higher rates than whites and therefore make up a disproportionate share of the homeless population. So through its uh, healthy housing program, we work with our pilot agencies to take affirmative steps to make affordable housing opportunities and services and programs available and accessible to all. Understanding that chronically homeless, the chronically homeless population is proportionally overrepresented by African-Americans and, and, and other people of color and minorities. Uh, we work with our pilot agencies to review and analyze outreach programs, activities, uh, sensitize the staff to any cultural concerns or, or service gaps. And uh, we meet regularly with our pilots to share and examine strategies and improve outcomes to address racial disparities. Our Catholic health partners have been especially helpful in centering racial equity in the work too, especially in this healthy housing pilot. First of all, um, our Catholic health partners, uh, Ascension, Providence, uh, St. Joseph, uh, SSM, Mercy, um, uh, Dignity have all, they're all part of a Catholic Health Association or CHA. And CHA has its own diversity, equity and inclusion or DEI program um, that the, that's, we are called and it centers and it works and it helps the, uh, the hospitals center their work around racial equity to promote the diversity, equity and inclusion. And at the same time, our Catholic health members develop their, or partners develop their own DEI programs and they've openly and aggressively shared them with our Catholic Charities pilots. And it's been a really nice partnership where we're able to take some of those elements and, and bring them, when they bring the, the services, the primary healthcare services into the permanent supportive housing projects of Catholic Charities, we still have these centered, uh, uh, we're centering uh, racial equity. So we make sure that we're serving our populations properly and effectively. And the great thing is, is that this sharing of information has extended beyond this healthy housing pilot into other areas that Catholic Charities works in. And you know the variety of words, areas and work that they do. So it's been very valuable on that. Thank you so much, Curtis. And I just wanted to, to put it in here because we've had that discussion in the chat. Apologies about the captioning and it should be available now for those who, who need it. So let us know if you're having any issues with that, but it should be available and a recording will be available. And I believe there's a transcript as well. So just wanted to throw that out there since we had some discussion in the chat. And again, really, really sorry about that. Um, thank you all for your answers to the questions um, as well. And just listening to your answers, I think one thing that I can really pull out from it too is just how um, we're seeing it um, in your organizations, in particular programs, in particular discussions um, that's happening within the organizations and this kind of consistency around um, how it has an impact on all the work in, um, that is being done in the organizations as well. Um, and I think that that really speaks to how an intentional, um, intentional work around racial equity, um, even in one group can really have an impact on other work that we're doing. And that multi-sector work that we're doing throughout the campaign is also lending you know, some um, leverage um, in other work that's being done, as well as the expertise that you guys brought into um, developing a lot of the things and a lot of the actions that we were doing within the campaign. Um, so 
definitely things that I mentioned around um, not only the, the vision, mission, and goal statements, but, you know, so far we, we do have a podcast episode. We have articles on the website. Um, we've definitely looked, revamped, um, took fresh eyes um, to look at our policy agenda. Um, and I think that takes a lot of um, accountability and also reflection. Um, and so going into our next conversation around um, shifting the conversations that we were having to be more racially centered um, in a new framework, um, my question to you all would be, how has the Racial Equity Working Group adapted a racial equity framework and how has your organizations moved towards that framework? And I'll go to Charlotte for this one. Thanks. Uh, I'll, I'll start by saying just that what OSA has done on the Racial Equity Working Group has been uh, a very great example for, for our own work. I think you've demonstrated a very clear commitment to centering racial equity in, in all of the work and, and engaging, uh, really committing to engaging all coalition members uh, in that and bringing in all of their different perspectives. Um, as you kind of mentioned at the beginning, we went through all of those materials, both internal and external documents with a racial equity lens, whether it be the mission or, or some template slide decks or issue briefs. Um, and again, it was a very collaborative process working with the, the OSA leaders and partners to bring in these various equity perspectives, just, you know, for example, the, the health perspective that I bring and then the anti-hunger perspective that Alex would bring and as well as the faith-based community perspective that uh, Curtis would bring. And so uh, I think that was incredibly effective as well as the way that the campaign has continued to not only revise past documents, but really uh, continue to center racial equity, not as just a, a footnote in the, the issue briefs or just a, a blurb that you see, but really, really centering it and making it the focus of all of the work that we do. And so thinking about how, how it's been brought back to Children's Health Watch, I would say first, we really did replicate this process in terms of taking a hard look at our internal practices and our work portfolio and the ways that it uh, would advance racial equity or, or racial inequities. And so um, I would say on the internal side, you know, thinking about hiring processes and procurement, um, but then really on our work portfolio side, considering how we're thinking about this as researchers in a space where our research and the policies we're trying to inform really disproportionately affect uh, people of color and, and, and really also as researchers, understanding the power dynamics and some of the historical trauma associated with research and, and how that might affect our work and, and our approach. Um, and I'll say the ways that we choose which projects to work on and the policies we focus on first, and this has kind of always been the case that they've been informed by our pediatricians and what they're really seeing in their clinics, uh, talking to families every day, talking to their patients. Um, and then also engaging with community-led organizations and, and that feedback has been critical in guiding our work and guiding which, pro, um, which projects and which policies are the most relevant to advancing racial equity and which, which do not so much. And for example, I'd say one tool that we've used, uh, there's a, this racial equity scorecard that was developed by Marlisa Gamlin, who, who used to be in the anti-hunger uh, world at Bread for the World. Um, but it's really this kind of simple tool, but very powerful thinking about both the outcomes and unintended consequences of policies, as well as uh, equity in their design and equity in their evaluation. And so we use that to really go through all of our policy priorities and identify what are the things we've been promoting with you know, the best of intentions, but that have actually had harm built into them. And so this kind of upended our prioritization of the solutions that we've been trying to advance and also specifically the questions that we're trying to answer in our research. 
uh, really trying to ensure that the policies that we're continuing to support are not policies that that may do harm or even policies that just maintain current racial inequities, but really are ones that can um, advance racial equity and just disrupt that. Um, I would say in, in some of our publications, like our policy briefs, we've definitely had a very intentional racial equity focus, as well as uh, being in, in the research and uh, academic space. We, we do have a, a number of publications, uh, including one with Chantel and, and Mike and Diane and other members of uh, the coalition um, around housing with a very strong racial equity lens. And so we've been been embarking on, on that journey and I think really trying to take the, these lessons learned from OSA of, of how to continue that um, work throughout. Thanks, Charlie. I'll turn it over to Curtis. Thanks, Chantel. You know, in my view, I, I, I think the, the, the OSA racial uh, equity working group adapted the racial equity framework by reviewing the mission, as you said, and and the vision and considering how disparities negatively impact, you know, people of color in, in many sectors. And I think uh, as Charlotte laid out, you know, we took the perspectives and, and, and opinions and, and uh, comments and concepts from each other and, and wrestled with them and really dug into it words and phrases. And, and, and I thought that was very meaningful and deliberate. As, as a multi-sector campaign for fair and equal uh, affordable housing, you know, racial equity needs to be centered in the campaign and not just in terms of housing, but in, in, in all sectors. And, uh, and, I, and I'll use health and housing as an example. I mean, we've seen the data that proves the disparities in not just housing, but in health outcomes for people of color like African-Americans. And, and it demonstrates how they're overrepresented and we've seen it in, in homeless populations and chronically homeless, as I said before. So, you know, policies and procedures, we were very concentrating on making sure they're more than simply, for us anyway, not trying to run afoul of fair housing regulations, but more focused on how can we increase the quality of service that we deliver to unrepresented populations and, and how can we uh, improve outcomes. And I, I'll tell you, We've, we've taken some things back to CCUSA and even shared them in, in, you know, throughout our network. Um, in CCUSA's policy paper, Poverty and Racism, Overlapping Threats to the Common Good, we looked at that again and made the message clear that racism and discrimination in all forms can't be tolerated. At our 2021 annual gathering, um, we had Reverend Brian Massengill, an African-American priest, delivered a powerful call to action about centering racial equity in the network. And he noted that any strategy to reduce poverty in America must also confront the deep connection between racism and poverty. And we, we, we hold ourselves up to, 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 to be attacking, attackers of poverty and reduce poverty for those most vulnerable. And poverty and racism are so intertwined that it's impossible to fully separate them. So we, therefore, you know, as he said, we can't really effectively attack poverty without attacking racism. So I, I'd say also that even if racism, even if it's individual and institutional forms, it's a cause of poverty. And at the same time, an additional barrier for people of color who are seeking to escape it. 
Now, in my area of responsibility, you know, at Catholic Charities USA is, is in housing strategy. I'm, a, I'm an affordable housing professional. But part of the strategy was to engage the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign to increase collaborators, supporters, and the voices and advocates um, for more targeted resources for affordable housing. And so having expanded my neighborhood vis-a-vis -vis my, my network vis-a-vis CCUSA and, and, and meeting Charlotte and, and Alex and, and everyone else in the network is just broadened our approach. And, and this came from, you know, working with the, uh, the campaign to do that and serving those most vulnerable in, includes, you know, making sure that you touch many aspects of their lives. I mean, I'm a houser, so I, you know, I, I've learned from my, um, co-workers and colleagues at, at CCUSA about the social determinants of health and, and, and understanding that. And I, I'm a true believer that housing is foundational to that. And so having this framework and being a model of centering racial equity improves outcomes is, has been valuable for us at uh, Catholic Charities USA. And we continue to work with it and bring those lessons learned from OSA to our network and, and its improved operations. And just echoing the theme of um, how this work has, has really had benefits um, to the work we do day in and day out on food insecurity. Uh, one, one thing that, you know, we started um, the OSA work with is the inextricable links between housing and food insecurity. So, you know, you on, on this webinar know well that if people have to pay more of their money for housing, then there's less money to pay for food and people have to make excruciating choices. And as Charlotte mentioned, often the rent eats first. Um, so people shouldn't be faced in our country with deciding, do I pay for my housing cost or do I pay for my food cost, the food I need to feed my family? Um, we also knew that housing um, affects other issues that, that fuel or exacerbate food insecurity. So where do you live? Do you have access to a full service grocery store? Do you have to spend money or barter a ride or um, take precious time if the, you do have public transportation to get to a store that you know, has a wide variety of food items at um, affordable high prices? Um, your housing determines whether you have summer enrichment activities for your kids in your neighborhood. And if those um, sites are participating in the summer meal program. It also determines whether you have places to safely store and prepare your food. Um, and we know that due to community disinvestments, um, many of the same families that are struggling with food insecurity are also struggling with housing insecurity and that they're paying a poverty tax of, of sorts um, where basic services like banking and you know, retail and um, pharmacies, they're just lacking in the community or they're, they're offered, but the choices are very slim or the prices are exacerbated. So housing and food insecurity go hand in hand. Um, one, one thing we've been really forced to confront is how racial inequities permeate poverty, housing insecurity, food insecurity, uh, and that the, that's a common factor that's, that's driving all of this um, social injustice and that we really have to figure out what are we gonna do to 
uh, close some of these gaps and who's experiencing um, these, these deep societal problems. And, you know, part of that is really looking at how we address the systemic and systematic um, systems of oppression that um, have been created by people. They didn't exist. They're, you know, a political, they're a political outgrowth that we really have to figure out ways to address those if we're really going to um, and, and housing insecurity and food insecurity. So this has been a, a really interesting point um, that we've talked about and really figured out like, okay, just because this policy helps low-income people, is it really getting at those racial inequities? And I, I'm still you know, figuring all this out, but I'm, I feel like this work has helped me make a little step forward and I'm really appreciative to OSHA for that. Thank you. I mean, what was really echoed through, I think a lot of the answers here is just how that we, we talk about the spillover impacts, but really seeing that spoken about in ways that are even being seen in the work that you all do. So I, there's so many ways and so many different areas that were mentioned, you know, just thinking about the ways that we're trying to address the, the issues presented here. And we see, again, that spillover impact is just something that's almost kind of embedded, right, in, in everything. So um, definitely was echoed in, in hearing a lot of what um, everyone was talking about. Um, and just thinking again, back to the work that we that we were doing and when we started the work too, I think even throughout the work, um, what, what has been helpful too is looking at other organizations and the, the information that they've produced and put out there too to help us also think about some of these concepts and the way that we can um, change them and bring it into our work too. Um, so just that kind of sharing of knowledge, I think has also been helpful too in, in terms of the way that we were thinking about the framework and that as well. So we have all the expertise of those that have been on the racial um, working group, but even coming into it, um, I think that we also did a bit of just like, oh, I've seen this resource here and I've seen this resource there. And that was also very, very helpful as well. Um, so that's something that kind of just popped in my mind as everyone was speaking um, as well. Uh, to our next question, um, which kind of goes into the takeaways that I was kind of just talking about, um, is a takeaway. So what are some of the key takeaways um, from being part of the process of forming the Opportunity Starts at Home Racial Equity Working Group and our work thus far? And I'll turn it over to Alex. Yeah, well, one, one thing I don't think we've discussed adequately is um, the need to engage people with lived experiences and expertise in um, housing insecurity, poverty, food insecurity. And, you know, that's, that's much broader than um, the racial equity focus because, you know, it's, it's people across, um, you know, races and ethnicities who've experienced um, food insecurity and housing insecurity. Um, but it's, but that's a really important um, piece in doing this work better. And you know, if we're looking at racial equity, then definitely, you know, hearing from people who, um, you know, me as a white woman, I mean, I I don't know what it feels like to be discriminated against. You know, I'm half Colombian, but I haven't faced uh, discrimination based on my race or my ethnicity. So really, um, not just you know, hearing from people, but really figuring out ways that they are engaged in developing the policies and, you know, tweaking the policies and implementing the policies is something that's really important to um, forward 
move this work forward. And um, FRAC and Feeding America each year have an anti-hunger, national anti-hunger policy conference. And one of the things we did this year that was, um, you know, as part of our, our work to improve um, equity, um, particularly racial equity in, in the disproportionate rates of who experiences hunger in America, was to center the conference um, themes on how, how are you working to address um, racial equity in who goes hungry in America? And then how are you um, lifting up and engaging people with lived expertise? Uh, so that was a really important piece of the conference this year. Where, and we also had um, people submit workshop proposals and select workshops. And um, we had an incredible uh, housing um, advocate out of um, Washington State um, on Ch and Chantel's panel that really, it was so important to hear the perspective of what's happening to the people impacted by these policies. Um, Cause we can't just, you know, lock ourselves up, although we can during COVID, but we need to, to really, you know, conduct outreach and, and make sure we're, we're hearing from the people who are experiencing these issues. Yeah, I'll jump in there. I think we, we definitely have the same lessons learned and I think uh, how we've been engaged with community-led groups and, and people with lived experience uh, on our policy priorities and, and in our publications or when, when we've been developing. Um, some of these has been really, really impactful, not surprisingly, but in terms of really just guiding what, what we thought. We started with a draft of what we thought and again, coming in as uh, a white woman and a team of, you know, many white researchers of, of not having that perspective, obviously, and really, you know, being able to listen and, and not uh, just just stick with the recommendations that we, we initially thought. And I think to see the way that those have developed and how they really, really changed over the past few years um, has been great. And I, I think in terms of OSA and, and the takeaways from just the coalition in general, I'd reiterate the importance of multi-sector partnerships uh, not just to bring in the, the other perspectives and love your point, Chantel, earlier about, um, you know, the learning that we had from each other, you know, since we're, we all can't be experts in all of these areas. Um, but I think also just in the, the power of engaging with policymakers and, and different groups, for example, you might have somebody in a leadership position or somebody who's uh, your city uh, or your, your state's congressman or, or uh, senator and uh, they're really passionate about or not particularly housing, but they're passionate about, uh, you know, childhood asthma or they're passionate about food insecurity or something like that. Um, and they, they don't have that direct connection in their mind necessarily with housing and with housing policy. And so I think having all of these different folks engaged in the same coalition and being able to, to bring in that uh, perspective and, and really kind of just make that shift for for some of the policymakers that, that we've spoken to, that's been something that I've noticed in those conversations has been um, really helpful. And then I just say also just that this, the work is so continuous and, um, you know, OS has been very adamant on uh, continuing to, to evaluate all of its processes and um, what, what the work they're doing and kind of the focus that we're going towards and, and really appreciative of that. I'll say this, my, my, my key takeaways, I really had three key ones. Um, I'll say intentionality, sharing information, and knowing and acknowledging history. And, and so 
I, I think we've already said, and I heard you say it, Chantel, intentional. Keeping racial justice centered requires intentional and affirmative efforts to do just that. You've got to do it, you've got to push it forward, and then you've got to dig into it. It means being willing to have conversations and discussions that make some uncomfortable, but a desire to push for actions and steps for racial justice and healing and equity that we can really do in, in realistic time and implement right away. And for me, the racial equity working group engaged in a process that took me way beyond, as I said before, simple fair housing compliance, because that's really the, the minimal standard my my small group at CCUSA has to focus on when they're being housing providers. And so we wanted to step well beyond that. I think we've said it, and but it can't be said enough, is sharing information. Um, OSA has been very good about sharing information to us and, and I've just poured it out to my network and they've shared it and reshared it. And, and you know, sharing information required an honest discussion and feedback that made it clear that you know, this information sharing is, is information is power. We know that and sharing is powerful, I'll say that. And as we work to center racial equity in our work at CCUSA with our local agencies and offices, we're, we've been willing to share information, successes and acknowledge our failures and work towards diversity, equity and inclusion. And for me, the, the real key, I, I think OSA and, and the staff is to be saluted for this, um, you've really been helpful. We, we can't allow history to be distorted, suppressed, forgotten, because it helps us understand how we are here today and where we are. And I'll tell you, this whole work, uh, racial work equity working group and the OSA staff were very, you know, laser-like focused on including history to help evidence where we are today. And I think your recent blog was a, a huge, uh, uh, reflection of the, the the work that you did to to bring you know tell the story and and, and bring out some of the steps and the reasons why we're here and we're where and where we are and 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 it helps you I think map out strategies and actions that 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 are effective for getting us to to racial equity so and I'll just conclude by saying racial equity and and, and centering that into your work. It's not a one-time thing you do and you're done. It's something that evolves. We've got to purposely do it. We've got to promote it ongoing on a regular basis and you've got to be committed. And once you do it, you've got to keep doing it. Thank you all. I mean, what's echoing in my mind is, is just the persistence that needs to be done, that needs to stay uh, with the work. Um, and another thing that I was thinking about just as we were, we were that you all were speaking, uh, was just acknowledging the challenges. Like this has not, this has not come um, without challenges. I mean, we spent a, a long time <laughs> trying to change the language that we were using on the vision, mission, and goal statements just to make sure, just to think about like how can we, how are we, like how are we being inclusive? Are we being harmful? Is the language harmful, harmful in any way, or anything like that? I mean, we've been having continuous discussions about who's at the table um, at the campaign and like. What does that look like? What are we? What are we even talking about here? How do we transform that? What What is the conversation? Um, and so this this um, this work is not being done without any challenges. If, if, if anything, I think it's it's going through the challenges and really trying to get um, to the solutions and the other side of that that make the campaign a lot better. So I just just definitely want to echo that and echo even some of the things that we we even mention or talk about even when we're putting. Um, 
uh, information and language out there about even the limitations that we've seen in the campaign as well. So um, there's definitely challenges in the work. And I think that um, what it has been is like working through those challenges to find how we get to that other side, because we found that a lot of these conversations can be hard to have, um, but needed, very much needed to have. Um, and so uh, throwing that out there, because that's a major takeaway that I also want to share um, with everyone out there also looking to do this work um, as well. And so I'll come upon, uh, we have a few minutes left. Um, one question that I'll throw out there um, to you all is just about what are you excited about in this moment um, and what are you hopeful for um, as we're making these changes to the campaign? And I'll go to Charlotte. I would say what I'm excited about in this moment, just to back up back to our own sector, the health sector is just the way that we've seen uh, the drumbeat around housing and health just get so much louder and louder um, over the past five years, 10 years. Um, and I think in particular, uh, the way that health systems are engaging with the, the work more, realizing that health outcomes are not, and, and good health outcomes are, aren't achievable through healthcare alone, really need to take into account all these different determinants of health, particularly housing. Um, and so I'm excited by the continued interest that, that we're seeing in engaging with that, this work and, and supporting it, not only in a, on a programmatic direct service level at, at the hospitals, um, but really at a policy and policy advocacy um, level. Alex? Thanks for the question. I thought of so many things I was depressed about. So this was the hardest question to answer, but I did find something that I'm very excited about, which was just announced today. So the last White House um, conference on hunger, nutrition, and health was uh, more than 50 years ago. And today the White House just announced they are having a conference uh, to develop a blueprint to end hunger and improve nutrition by 2030. Um, the conference will be taking place in September, but there'll be lots of opportunities in, in leading up to the conference to get people engaged. Uh, there'll be listening sessions. There'll be a website where you can um, put in ideas and strategies to end hunger in America. We're really hopeful that folks on this webinar and who are part of the housing movement will engage because obviously, you know, if we're going to end hunger in America, we have to promote um, housing. So um, I know we'll be working with um, Chantel and the rest of the um, OSHA OSHA, that doesn't quite roll off your tongue. Opportunity starts at home campaign to lift up engagement opportunities and really make sure that the, the, the conference, you know, has bold uh, policy ideas that advance racial equity. And, and they definitely said that one of the key, key uh, measures of success for the conference is centering uh, the, the work on addressing um, racial equity. Thanks, Alex. Curtis? I'll say this, I'm excited because I'm seeing some things happen in our network that, I, that I'm not sure would have happened before these conversations. And uh, I'll, I'll give you one example. Most recently, um, a service center uh, that provides services for homeless folks and, and, and the community at large uh, in uh, Detroit, um, they, uh, they, they provide dental services and, and, and case management. Well, 
what they did was they they partnered with the um, the local uh, Black Catholic ministry there, and they had a they uh, Catholic Charities commissioned a mural of. Uh, six or seven candidates, African-American candidates that are being um, considered for sainthood. And what that did was it brought the whole community out and they kind of engaged and, and started, it, it just built up more of a community engagement thing. So it's not really a policy, but it was an action that occurred. And I think they're seeing dividends from that. Uh, our member agency in, in, in Oregon took a look at some of their um, their uh, procedures when they were looking at one of their um, uh, homeless service centers and saying, boy, you know, we're underrepresented. And, and what they did was start taking a look and, and found out by having meetings at different places at different times and, 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 and bringing different staff into it, they were able to close some cultural gaps and they've increased uh, minority participation and, and inclusion at one of their uh, centers. So. I think we're starting to see things happen because we're pushing this initiative forward. So I'm excited by that. Thank you so much. Um, I kind of want to jump off of kind of where you left off there, Curtis, because we, we did get a question that um, I think could be helpful too. And if anyone else had some feedback on this would be would be great. And it's really about um, it's really about um, hiring and processes moving forward, like RFPs, applications, things like that. And how are we thinking about um, tweaking or transforming those systems too that really advance racial equity? Um, I can say on the campaign's perspective, um, one way in which that did show up was um, through our grants for our state grants and making sure that we're asking those kind of questions when we're assessing it was, um, uh, we have a number of, of things that we, consider, but that definitely was a, a cr criteria that we used to um, consider how we were going to give those funds out. Um, so that's one mm -hmm. example through the campaign. Um, and I'll just open it up if there's any other examples of that um, as we're answering some of the questions here. <laughs> yeah, FRAC's been doing re-granting um, to state anti-hunger groups. And you know, part of that re-granting is um, a, a criteria to, to make sure the, the sector is more diverse. Um, so that's you know, a plus in terms of getting um, funding. Another thing is we launched um, a racial equity fund and gave out um, grants to organizations um, and tried to make the process you know, not, not a full-time job for three weeks for someone to apply for a grant. We really tried to streamline it so we would capture the information we needed. Um, and, and another way was um, for the FRAC Feeding America Conference, just having workshop proposals and having as a um, uh, criteria, you know, having someone on the panel who brings um, diversity to the panel or um, lived expertise. So those are, those are some ways that are, you know, not necessarily transformational, but they're moving in the right direction. Yeah, and I'll add in addition to the, some of the hiring practices, um, I think we've been focusing a lot on our procurement in terms of, you know, who are we engaging, what vendors are we engaging with um, for when we have events and have uh, catering, for example, or when we need um, a video made and we need to work with graphic designers or something like that, really making sure that we put our money where our mouth is and, and understand uh, who we're supporting in the community and um, where, where that's going. 
I, I agree with all of that. I mean, you know, we I know that uh, there's been trainings and uh, uh, workshops with uh, diocesan directors at CCUSA on diversifying their training and, and trying to get the staff to look like the, the people they serve. And, and CCUSA itself has done a good job at uh, uh, a diverse hiring. So I, I agree with all of those things. And plus just taking a look at how you can do, you know, get your programming out to uh, more people in more effective ways. And I think uh, Alex said it perfectly, bringing in that lived experience, that's, that's really been valuable for us, uh, you know, not, not just the CCSA, but specifically when you're developing housing and, and you bring in lived experience for whatever type you're bringing in, it, uh, it draws it in. And often that in and of itself bring, brings in a racial equity com uh, a component with it. So, Thank you so much. I want to thank the panelists for joining us today. I want to thank you all for joining us today. I hope that this discussion was really helpful. And if there's any way that uh, you need to contact us, um, just in case there was some materials or resources that you wanted to just get more information about, uh, please let us know. Uh, we'll definitely have that available as well as a recording available after this event today as well. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to our panelists, and we hope that everyone enjoys the rest of the evening. Thank you. Thanks, Chantel, for hosting us. Great job. Great job facilitating. Bye-bye.